You are listening to another tale from the Mage's Den, the podcast for the Common Tongue magazine. Forbidden, written and narrated by Carl Walmsley. Abbot Dane once said that the scratch of quill on parchment is the most soothing sound in the world better than any babbling brook or the sweetest dawn chorus. After five years on the island, I knew it to be true. A lifetime of soldiering had brought me nothing but pain. In the Abbey, transcribing books from across the known world, I found peace. Holding on to it, however, would not prove easy. There are flies on the windowsill. They keep their vigil as I keep mine. I know that they will be waiting for me at the end, and it cannot be much longer. I will record what I remember, my own words for once, the scratch of quill. A storm was coming. It swept in from the east and brought the invaders with it, men of iron and blood, men much as I had been. The bells of the abbey rang out loud and clear, inciting chaos, running and shouting, crashing doors, rattling halter chains, animals stirred by the scent of panic, braying and squealing. The gates were thrown wide. The lay folk seized what they could and scattered. A few of our brothers went with them, their faith vanishing like brittle frost in the winter sun. Leofric mustered our soldiers and made for the beach. He was always a pious man, determined to protect us for as long as he could. Joseph and I will go to the inner library, the abbot said. Bring oil and hot cools. Brother Joseph nodded frantically, eyes bulging in his scrawny face. I had never seen him so frightened. Of course, we all knew what was at stake. The books within the inner library could never fall into unsanctified hands. The knowledge within was forbidden, unholy. The abbey had been built on a remote island to keep them safe. Tristan, go to the main library, select five books you love the most, take them and run. I began to protest, but the abbot kissed me on the forehead and said, Go with God. I watched him and Joseph flail across the courtyard, robes flapping like startled birds. I went to the library, I chose the books, and I ran. In all my years as a soldier, in Northumbria and Mercia, Wessex and Gaul, I had never turned from a fight. For a handful of coins and the promise of glory, I had risked my life again and again. Now, when there was something I believed in, I was told to abandon it. I found a handful of people sheltering in a cave on the west coast of the island. A woman, Rose, who worked in the abbey's kitchens, had the good sense to bring food with her. Her daughters, Ileth and Eleanor, were there, crouched in the darkness. There was a boy from the stables as well, Peter. He had found a stick and stood watch at the cave mouth. I made a show of flinching when I saw him there and he seemed pleased. They had many questions, but I had no answers. I told the girls the story of God's people wandering in the desert, 
whilst Peter kept watch and pretended not to listen. We had no wood for a fire, but I gave the girls my cloak, and they huddled beneath it as the day grew colder and the rain fell. Rose smiled her thanks and gave me a piece of bread. A little before dusk, one of Leofric's soldiers appeared out of the rain. He had lost his sword and shield and bore a deep wound on his head. He confirmed that the attackers were Northmen, that there were too many to fight, and that Leofric had fallen. Peter offered him his stick, but the soldier shook his head. I saw that when he coughed, there was blood on the back of his hand. As night came on, the storm grew and we huddled close. The wind hurled sand into the cave and howled along the coastline. But it passed as suddenly as it had arrived. The clouds cleared and the island grew still. Between the wash of waves on the nearby beach, I heard strange noises. Sometimes they sounded like screams, sometimes like something else. It was dark when I abandoned sleep and crept to the mouth of the cave. I tried to wake the soldier, but found him dead. I realised then that I had not even asked him his name. The first glow of dawn was rising in the east as I drew near the abbey. I circled at a safe distance and saw that there was no sign of life, no smoke, no blackened stone. The abbot's efforts to burn the inner library had failed. My heart hammered as loudly as the tower bells had done. I thought of the dark books hidden within, and I became truly afraid. Tell me the saga again, grandfather, of the cursed island where the men of the one god practice magic. How many times has little Igol asked to hear the tale? Too many to count. But the flies are gathering and I must recount it one final time. I arrived on the island determined to succeed where my brother had failed. On his first raid he had lost a foot, and any chance to sail again on a dragon ship. He survived but filled our house with gloom, ensuring that I was almost twenty before my mother let me seek an oar of my own. When I finally took one, I promised myself that I would fight for us both. We surged up the beach, eager to match ourselves against the warriors there to meet us. I killed my first man that day, with the axe my brother could no longer wield. As the stragglers fled, I roared my triumph loud enough for Odin himself to hear. And Einradi, captain of our boat, clapped me on the back and gave me the name Valtir the Red-Handed. It was a good name. For a few hours, I felt like the hero I had always wanted to be. Their temple was abandoned. We saw the last of the brown-robed fools scampering away like mice. And Radi strode through the gates, his great axe resting on his shoulders, and laughed like it was the finest joke ever told. The riches of these people are like juicy apples hanging from a low bough. You just reach up and take them. He mimed, snatching something from the air. Well, boys, reach up and take. Oliver smashed half of everything he saw, dashing pots on the floor, 
hewing a big cross into kindling and hurling books through the fine glass windows. Have you come across the ocean for that? I asked. He shrugged and kicked over a chair. You'll give us all a bad name, said Merky, carefully selecting the best candlesticks and slotting them in a bag. The room we were in had a high roof supported by strong beams. Light streamed through arch windows of coloured glass, more beautiful than a painting. There was a long table in the centre, polished so that it shone like armour. This would look fine in my long hall, I proclaimed. You may struggle to get it back on the ship, said Merky, removing a candlestick from his bag to make room for a mirror. Plus, you don't have a hall, or even a house. That's why the girls look at you the way they do. Oliver brayed like a donkey and hammered his axe into the table. You'll blunt your blade, I warned him. Oliver smirked, but then struggled to tug his axe from the wood. The screaming made us all stop. I could not tell if it was men or beasts. Merky hefted his sack, the contents clinking together. There was a thud as Oliver freed his blade. This way, I think. I raised my shield, though the corridor ahead was empty. If there is more fighting, then why wait, said Oliver, striding past me and opening the door at the end of the hallway. He closed it again, took half a dozen strides back towards us, and vomited. We waited for him to spit out the last strings of bile, but then he just stood there, glass-eyed, like a man who works in his sleep. What did you see? Merky hissed. Oliver shook his head. There was a clattering beyond the door, a noise like a wind on fresh snow, and then silence. I looked at Merky, he at me. He raised his bulging sack as though that made it impossible for him to be the one who opened the door. A broad stairway dominated the chamber beyond. The steps weren't smooth in the middle. Statues of little men huddled in alcoves. A large door led out to the courtyard. It swayed in the wind, a metal latch banging against the frame. There's nobody here, I said. No, Oliver shouldered past Merky. There! He pointed at a tile spattered with blood, and now that I looked, there were little splashes elsewhere. What did you see? I asked him. He looked around, skittish as a fox, and then ran up the stairs. Can't you smell it? We followed Oliver, up the steps and into the tower. Beneath the sweet promise of rain, there was something else, something putrid. We heard the ring of metal and hastened through one doorway after another. What I saw still causes my hand to shake half a lifetime later. We have our monsters in the north, the Draugir, the Trolls. This was something else. Its body was like a fly, but huge and bloated like a boar. Bristles, black as frostbitten fingers, covered its body, which beneath these glistened like wet leather. Its eyes were big and red, and pulsed like overripe berries, fat with maggots. 
Its mouth was a slit down the center of its head, lined with teeth. It had what looked like a lolling tongue. Then it slopped it up with a crunch of bone, and I realized it was a man's finger. I could not recognize all of the men who lay dead before it. Some had been splayed like a butcher slaughters cattle. I remember wondering, is this some spirit of the Christian God, a divine destroyer? Oliver was halfway to the creature when it spat at him. His legs came away from his body in a slop of oozing flesh. It was like he was melting. He was still screaming as the creature juddered forward and began to feed, to slurp him up like a red broth. I remember running through the corridors of the temple, overcome by a type of fear I had not known existed, running and screaming, running and screaming. For a time, I knew nothing else. My axe was gone, and with it, all thoughts of being a hero. The entrance to the inner library lay on the far side of the abbey grounds. I needed to know what had happened to the forbidden books, and to help the abbot and brother Joseph if I could. I could see no sign of the Northmen, but knew it was unlikely they would come and go in a single night. They might still be inside the buildings. I bridled at the thought. Skirting the perimeter wall, I reached the chapter house without seeing a soul, living or dead. A host of crows watched me from atop the tower. I wondered what could have drawn them there, if not their appetite for the dead. Lifting the crucifix from my neck, I touched it to my lips and muttered a benediction. The chapter house, a circular building of pale stone, seemed the same as ever, save for an axe resting on a stone bench. I glared at it. It seemed as out of place as sheep dung before the altar. I considered taking it, but the Lord tests us constantly, and I had sworn to set aside my weapons. Descending a narrow twist of stairs, I crept along the gloomy passage that leads to the inner library. This tunnel intersected others. It had been dug long before the abbey was built, when this had been a pagan site honouring forgotten gods. Alongside alcoves containing the figurines of St Cuthbert and St Anthony were sigils carved into the rock. The abbot believed that the ancient people stored treasures here, using their magic to keep them safe. I had asked him why he did not remove the markings, and he had joked that we needed all the help we could get. I slotted my key into the heavy lock in the library door. It was fashioned in the likeness of Apollyon the angel who bound Satan and tossed him into the abyss. The door was unlocked, and I nudged it open. The only light came from tiny windows, high in the walls, that emerged through narrow tunnels just above the ground, and a few candles on a long, pitted table. Brother Joseph sat hunched at that table, his face lost in the shadow of his hood. My heart is gladdened that you are alive, brother. His words were warm, but I lingered in the doorway. Perhaps it was the stillness with which he sat. 
Where is the abbot? Joseph brushed something from his arm, and it joined a scattering of flecks on the table. The abbot is serving God. I nodded sadly. And the Northman? Gone. Only one remains. I was relieved, but what he said made little sense. How? Joseph reached inside his hood, pinched something between his fingers, and held it to a candle flame. It was a fly. Its wings flared and burnt, and he dropped its blackened husk onto the table. The abbot wished to burn these books, Joseph said. He did, to keep us safe. Safe? Joseph turned his head a little towards me, and the candle flame brushed his features. There was something wrong with his face. This is the only thing that can keep us safe. He lifted a book from his lap. It was bound in leather, corners studded with metal. Brother, what have you done? Kept us safe. With the book. I knew that the abbot would never have allowed this. The books were kept so that in direst need we might understand the weapons of the enemy, not use them ourselves. Joseph swept the table with his arms, scattering dead flies, and set the book down. When the abbot sent Leofridge to fight the Northmen, there was no sin. They fought to protect God's people. I have simply used a different weapon. As Joseph spoke, I edged forward, trying to make out the name of the book. What weapon is that, brother? The Northmen would have burned this place to the ground, and us with it. They did so at Lindisfarne. He ran a hand over the book's cover. I simply fought fire with fire, he chuckled. I don't understand, Joseph. I was close enough now that I reached out towards the book. Joseph snatched it up and glared at me. His face was covered in flies. They clustered around his eyes like bruises darted in and out of his nostrils and capered across his forehead. I stumbled back, mouth slack as a half-wits. The creatures of the pit are his servants too. They dwell there to do penance. And what better way than to defend a house of God? I have promised to release this one once it completes its task. Joseph smiled, and one of the flies vanished into his mouth. You've damned us all, I stammered. These books were not meant to be read. Not to be read? Then why keep them? Joseph clutched the book to his chest. The abbot could have destroyed them long ago if he wished. I wanted to run, to get back to Rose and to her daughters, to tell them to flee the island and never return but I could not do that. This was not a shield wall, but I knew I had to stand my ground. What happened to the abbot? As he started to speak, on an impulse I snatched at the book. Joseph screamed a shrill, girlish sound, but his scrawny arms clung to it. The abbot! He's here! He's with us now! 
I continued to tug at the book until I realised that Joseph was looking at something behind me. I turned and saw a creature that did not belong in this world. Something like a fly or a moth, black and bristling, nestled in the highest corner of the room. My mind could not make sense of its size. It was at least as big as a dog, a wolf, bigger. It juddered, wings scratching against the stone, the entirety of its monstrous head opening down the middle like a ghastly mouth. He still serves God, Joseph shrieked. We both do. I tried one last ineffectual tug at the book and then bolted for the door. I had my key. Perhaps I could seal Joseph and the monster inside. There is only one left, brother. Once he dies, the demon will leave and we can go back to the way things were. My hands fumbled at the lock and I whimpered in relief as the key slid home and sealed the room. I knew that if I left my key there, Joseph would be unable to insert his. Even as I thought this, I heard the sound of a window breaking. I turned and fled, breath rasping in the narrow stairwell as I ascended to the chapter house. I would take the Northman's axe after all. But it no longer rested on the bench. It was in the hands of a warrior, a warrior who glared at me as I approached. I did not know if the priest was fleeing the monster or pursuing me. He was unarmed, but there was something about the way he carried himself. A warrior knows another warrior when he sees one. I lifted Merki's axe. Wait! I was surprised to hear him speak our tongue. I am not your enemy. Uh, there is... He faltered and looked at the stairs he had just climbed. It's a... A monster, I said, and he nodded gravely. I had already seen it kill Einradi and several of the crew. I knew enough of the Christians to see that this was not a servant of their one god. I had watched it kill Merki as he tried to flee from the grounds. My cousin. A friend. But I was tired of running and hiding. I had an axe now. After a night spent huddled in the dark, I would choose the manner of my death. You can't kill it, the priest said, watching me. Not like that. I glared at him. There is a way, he added. I need a book. It contains the magic that was used to summon the monster. Who has the book, priest? Who summoned it? He was ashamed, I think. One of my brothers, driven mad by fear. What will this book do? Send it away, he said. Back to where it came from. If we don't, and it kills you, it will be released into the world. I stared hard at the priest, taking his measure. He did not flinch. I had thought his kind soft and weak, but there was steel in him. Besides, I had no wish to die like a slaughtered pig and force my mother to grieve for a son who did not return. I nodded my assent. The hiss of the creature's wings silenced further talk. I saw a shadow through the window and knew it was close. 
You survived the night, the priest said urgently. Where did you go? I ran and he followed. Out of that building and across to the temple. Inside, stairs led down beneath the ground. Was it here, in the crypt? The priest asked. I led him through tunnels of cut stone into passages roughly hewn from the earth, where the walls were adorned with strange carvings. I spent the night in this room, I said, ducking through a doorway into a chamber filled with boxes and barrels. The blanket I had found still lay on the floor. The southern storeroom, said the priest, running his fingers off the patterns in the walls. I listened for the hiss of the creature's wings, but there was nothing. You chose well, he said, gesturing at the carvings. I think that these markings are what prevented the creature from finding you. More Christian magic, I asked. He shook his head. None of this is Christian magic. These symbols are very old. The abbot may have understood them. You do not seem afraid of me, I said. My people come here to take your treasures, and you all ran away. The men like you ran anyway. I gestured at his plain garments. Why did you not fight? He looked at me, taking my measure, I suppose, as I took his. I came here so that I wouldn't have to fight. You'll have to fight now. That's different. Is it? The silence in the little chamber stretched out. So, I should fight you too, asked the priest. One monster at a time, I think. I took an apple from a crate and bit into it. What's your plan with the magic book, priest? He told me of items from the abbey that might help defeat the monster, and of the need to draw it away from the man with the book. I saw what he was driving at before he said it. A distraction, then. He nodded. The monster will come after you, and I will get the book. Merky, Oliver and I had hunted a bear once, using bait to lure it into a killing ground. Of course, Oliver had been only too happy to serve as bait. I was less keen. I do not want you dead, Northman. I mean to banish this creature, not unleash it upon the world. Even if we do destroy it, priest, what then? I asked. I have no way off this island. Help me do this, and I will show you where a small boat is hidden. It's a day's row to the mainland. Some of your countrymen have settled in the north. I had come to the island to repair my family's fortunes, but I now knew I would do well to leave with my life. I nodded my assent, extended my hand, and the priest shook it. He was gone for a short time and insisted that I wait in the chamber. I paced about, axe in hand, glancing at the scratches on the walls that he claimed hid me from the monster. He returned, red-cheeked and puffing, cradling several items. What is this? I asked as he handed me a clay pot. Water. I lifted it to my lips. No, it's not for drinking. The water is blessed. It may hurt the creature. He said this without much conviction. Anything else? He indicated that he wanted my axe, Merky's axe. May I? With some reluctance, I handed it to him, 
and watched as he bound the small silver object to the haft. This is the most prized relic in the abbey, he said. A finger bone of St. Anthony, a holy man who fought against demons. I saw that he had a pot of his own and a staff of heavy wood tipped with a metal cross. He lifted it, holding it first in one hand as a priest might on his way to the temple. Then he took it in two hands, as a warrior would. Are you ready to fight then, priest? I asked. We will go back up into the church. Wait for the creature there while I go for the book. Being in a house of God may aid you. Everything the priest offered came with a might or a maybe. I did not mind that. Life was full of them. Promise me one thing, priest. Whatever happens, you'll destroy that thing. I will. The book too. I followed him up to the temple, a grand building as big as any hierot. I placed myself in an open space between rows of benches. He turned as if to go, then asked, What is your name? I am Valtir, I told him. The red-handed had come and gone. I am Tristan, he replied, as if that were important to him. Stay alive, Valtir, for as long as you can. I always try, I assured him. Alone in the church, I prowled back and forth between the lines of benches. My fingers squeezed the haft of Merky's axe. I tried not to think about the way he and Oliver had died, and found my eyes lingering on an effigy of the Christian slaughtered god. The temple dimmed as a shadow passed over the painted windows above. The glass shattered, a spray of dancing light against a dark, bloated shape. I dropped to the ground as the monster surged over me. I stood and watched it loop about the far side of the temple. As a child, I had seen an eagle take a rabbit in the snow. I would not be like the rabbit, however. I took aim and hurled the pot the priest had given me. It shattered against the onrushing creature with a hiss like boiling water. There was a gout of steam and the monster veered away, crashing into one of the benches. It righted itself, snapping at the seats and kicking them away. It looks hurt, I thought. Perhaps I can kill it. The monster's head peeled open and the liquid gushed out, flashing in the light from the broken window. I threw myself aside. The benches behind me melted like ice before a flame. I tried to stand, but spittle had splashed my right leg, scalding like fire. I took the weight on my left, heaving myself up against the bench. The monster sprang into the air and began to circle. I turned, keeping the axe between us. I would die here. That much was clear. I just hoped the priest did not waste the time I was giving him. My key was in the lock, so I knew that Joseph was still inside the library. I tried to open the door as quietly as possible. Come in, brother, Joseph said, before the door had opened more than a few inches. You are still welcome. I understand your confusion. These are difficult days for all of us. 
The room stank like festering meat on a hot day. It will soon be over. Joseph was standing with his back to me, gazing up at the broken window. I could see no sign of the book and supposed he had hold of it. The Northman has done well to last this long. The Master Mar will find him. I knew the name. A fallen angel. You've summoned one here. Joseph turned, and for an instant the full horror of his face was revealed. It was rotting on his bones. The incessant flies burrowing and feeding. White grubs hatching from the tatters of his flesh. Dear God. In spite of everything, I felt a deep pity for him. Joseph had always been nervous and fearful, but dutiful and kind as well. He told me that he hoped to die in the abbey and be buried there, so that he might always be with God. Joseph, let me help you. I have all the help I need. Thrust out the book. Please, look at yourself. Joseph laughed. It was a cold, scornful sound. It never sounded like that, and I knew then that I was wasting my time. I swung the staff hard enough to knock the book from Joseph's hand. One of his rotting fingers came with it. I snatched up the book, meaning to escape through the door and lock him inside again. He howled in pain and lifted his mutilated hand. The door slammed shut. Do you think that summoning Master Mar is the only thing I've learned? He squeezed his fingers together and the rod in my hand burst into shards. Dozens of splinters pierced my hand and face. I felt a lancing pain in my right eye. I'm doing this to save you, he wailed. To save everyone from this pagan filth! I dropped to my knees, crushed by a sudden weight. It can be like it was, brother. We'll have a new abbot. We can go back to copying our books. Joseph knelt before me his sagging, squirming face close to mine. There was such desperation in his eyes. I'm sorry, I told him, grasping a shard of the broken staff and driving it through his neck. He tried to force words from his ruined throat, even as he crumpled to the floor. I opened the book, fingers bloody, forcing myself to ignore the sounds Joseph was making. I scanned page after page, each more blasphemous than the last, until I saw where Joseph had scrawled notes beside a passage of writing. It was written in Hebrew, an ancient and obscure dialect, but I could read it, and I saw what I needed to do. Joseph clutched feebly at my habit, but I ignored him, drained my pot of holy water, and read the words aloud. Joseph had done the hard part, contacting the fallen angel, summoning and binding it. All I did was change things a little. The demon had housed itself in Abbot Dane's body. I moved it into mine. The holy water gave me a little time, just enough, I hoped, to delay the transformation and kill myself, sending the monster back to hell. It was stronger than I had expected, though and I knew almost at once that I had made a terrible mistake.
I hurled a piece of broken bench at the monster and stumbled beneath an archway, trying to stay alive for a few more seconds. I heard the hiss of its wings and braced myself for the pain of its fangs tearing into my back. There was a thump, a few seconds of silence, and then a soft groan, not monstrous, but pitiful. I hobbled back, glancing through the archway, and saw a man slumped on the floor. He wore priest robes, torn almost into shreds. Blood seeped from his eyes, his ears. His mouth was more like a wound. He reached out, groping for something. I could see no sign of the monster and advanced warily. The priest's fingers poured at the metal stand. Upon it was a copy of the Christian's holy book. I took it and placed it in his hands. Despite his obvious pain, he smiled and clutched it to his chest like a newborn babe. The monster was gone, it seemed, and leaning down to close the dead man's blood-smeared eyes, I allowed myself a moment of hope. A shadow slinked across the open space near the center of the temple and vanished through the doorway. It passed the vase of flowers on the way. These drooped, shedding gray petals on the floor. I ran as best I could back to the room where I had first encountered the priest, down the narrow stairway and along the passage to where he told me the library was hidden. Within, another priest lay dead on the floor, something jammed into his throat. The priest, Tristan, was hunched over a desk, fingers gripping the wood, shaking from head to toe. There was a foul smell, like an ill-dug grave. His head came up slowly, eyes bulging, filling with blood. His teeth clamped together and he groaned. He could not speak, but I understood what he wanted, what he needed me to do. I stepped forward and raised Merky's axe. My mind filled with images. My brother, Einar, walking again. Mother, setting a meal before us in a grand house, laughing as we once laughed. Kristen accepting my flowers, saying that she would be my wife. All that I wanted. But beneath the images, something scratched and hissed and droned. I focused on the sensation of the axe's haft. I squeezed it tight against my fingers, and I swung. The priest arched back, and a vast swarm of flies gushed from his mouth. They filled the room, blotting out the light, whirring in my ears, stuffing my clothes. I screamed and they filled my mouth. I flailed against something, clawing at my face and lost my footing. By the time I rubbed my eyes clear enough to see, the swarm was gone. Broken stragglers pattered at the windows or hopped about the floor. I had aimed for the priest's neck, but the axe was lodged in his shoulder. He lay slumped on the floor, and I crawled to him, unsure whether he lived. The silver tube that he had fixed to the half was touching the wound. 
about this, in a circle as perfect as the new moon, was a ring of dead flies. The priest opened his eyes. He began to say something, and I tugged the axe from his shoulder, making his words into a groan. Ha! You live, I said, removing the silver tube and handing it to him. He touched the wound, which was surprisingly shallow, then glanced at the trinket in his hand. It seems we both will. After that, the priest was as good as his word. He gave me the boat, some supplies, and I rode to the mainland. From there, I trudged north to the settlements my people had begun to build. It was almost a year before I returned home to my mother and my brother. I was not in such a hurry to leave again after that. They are both gone now, of course, but their lives were long and happy enough. I saw my brother differently after what had happened to me on the island, and I believe that through me, Einar came to see himself differently too. Now, my time draws near. The flies are gathering. I still have Merky's axe, though, and I will wield it one more time. Invaders have come to my home. I will face them in battle, though I am old and slow. I will take my wounds to the front and claim a place in the great hall of my ancestors. Let the monster try to take my shade from Valhalla, and he shall see what my people are truly made of. I still do not know why the demon left me, whether it was fear that my death would banish it, or if the touch of St. Anthony's finger bone drove it out. To this day, I have the relic with me, always close to my skin. I dream of flies most nights, and sometimes hear them buzzing when it is still. But my days have been largely filled with peace. No invaders have returned to the abbey, and I have listened to the scratch of quill on parchment for half a lifetime. My one regret is that I have not been able to destroy the book. I have tried, burned it a dozen times packed it into pieces and scattered them to the wind. I even had a pig eat it once. It always comes back. It is my belief that it was not fashioned by human hands and cannot be unmade by them. My end is near now, but I am not afraid. I entrust my soul to God. Besides which, Abbot Thomas has been most kind. I am to be buried with the book and the relic of St. Anthony. May I and they remain undisturbed until the end of days. There are no guarantees, of course. Life comes with mites and maybes. But I can live with that. The End <laughs>